Welcome to the Parent Podcast, where each week we'll discuss topics relevant to parents. Whether you are expecting the arrival of your first child or have kids preparing to graduate from college, we've got you covered. Each week, we'll bring on different guests who will provide their expertise and perspective in an effort to remind you that you are not alone in this journey and encourage you as you raise and lead your family. Welcome, everybody, to the Parent Podcast. We are glad that you are back. Uh, As always, this is Robert Nash. I'm the Children's Pastor at Autumn Ridge Church in Rochester, Minnesota, and I am joined once again by student pastor Derek Freed. Derek, you weren't here last week. I wasn't. I I apologize. I I was recovering Mm -hmm. from my covid vaccine mm. uh but i'm fully vaccinated now so i'm planning on living it up Boom. but no i'm back and uh excited to be back and well you were missed the amount of mail we got of people that were upset that you were not on the episode it wasn't much but there I, were a few well you know i would figure that will roll in over time sure some people are probably mailing from far away. Probably. It takes a little bit longer to get here. You have a lot of fans. Yeah, I have exactly. no doubt about that. Well, today's episode is is, is a pretty heavy one. Um, yeah, we're we, jumping in the deep end here in like we, episode four. We let you test the waters, and now we're going in for a serious topic. And it's one that probably a lot of parents are going to have to deal with in some way uh, in their child's life. And the topic is talking to your kids about death. And to do that, we're joined by uh, two wonderful people here at Autumn Ridge Church. We have our uh, middle school pastor, Scott Jones. Scott, how are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm awesome. Thanks for being here. We also have Laura Casillo, who is a marriage and family therapist. Laura, thank you for being here with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, thankfully, in in my life so far as a parent, it, it isn't a topic that's come up because of something that's happened, because of a tragedy, right, where we had to describe it. Uh, the the only death incident in our family was uh, my brother-in-law who passed away, but Jacob was was fairly young then. And so the concept of, of death didn't really connect with him, right? It was uh, more so that mom and dad had to go away for, for a couple of days, and, and then we came back. But it is something that every parent in some capacity will – deal with with their child. I mean, whether it's a a, a friend or a family friend, whether it's uh, a grandparent or, you know, some in some way, shape, or form, every kid is going to be impacted by this. And so as a parent, you at some point are going to have to wade into these waters. Scott, uh, I really appreciate you being here. And uh, I know this is going to be a hard topic to discuss, but it's it's part of your story, and um, Scott, you lost your father at an early age. Yeah, so my dad passed away at when I was age fifteen um, to suicide, and uh, yeah, just processing that and going through it was um, traumatic, even at just at a young age, and uh, just to deal with. Um, the, the aftermath of grief and um, depression and all that kind of goes goes with it. And I think that's a great point. I'm sure Laura can speak into this too, that this idea of of this topic with your kids is not a one conversation kind of a one thing. Done, like, yeah. This is going to be, you know, you're going to have one conversation and then another conversation and another conversation. And it's going to be a process to deal with this. A long and and I think – you know, parents understanding that and recognizing that that is is a huge thing. Absolutely. When kids are grieving, there is a process that basically says, um, I am 
in the moment right now, and this is what I'm going through, but I'm not sure I fully understand that until different phases of life and they see other families interact and other experience that happen for them and grief can continually occur um, in different life events. And I'm sure, um, you know, major events, like prom, graduation, marriage, different um, things when you would think that a parent or a grandparent or a significant person in your life would be a part of that. And so that grief comes on again pretty hard. And more than likely, I mean, you know, Scott, you said you're, you're, you lost your dad when you were 15, right? Yeah. So then, you know, a teenager versus a younger child, mm-hmm. you got different levels here of, of understanding and probably different approaches to it all, right? Absolutely, you do. For younger kids, what you'd want to do is actually allow them to process maybe with art or with play, um, get involved with them, allow them to come to you with questions, um, and be persistently present in their life. So part of that is by taking um, a little kid, for example. Um, my grandma recently passed away, and at the funeral, my littlest one, who is three, was running around. Like, she was honestly the worst behaved I had ever seen her. And in front of my entire family, who's going through this big thing. So, of course, I'm like, oh, goodness, what is going on? And as I step back from that experience, I can see, well, this is her way of dealing with her mom and dad and family members being incredibly sad. So, you experience grief even at that little age. Babies can experience grief. And what they need is different. What they need is comfort to know security that people are around. They need other family members stepping in and offering help when their parents are hurting. They need the community support to feel security. They also need to know permanence with a parent that is still there or with a grandparent or whatever it is. They need to know that there are people around them supporting them, making life normal, and they need normalcy, a consistent schedule. You said it's important you know, to have someone there that of permanence. So meaning, mm-hmm. meaning what exactly? Just that there's, you know, there's still people in your yeah. life. So for an example of that, I can tell you when my grandma died, the first question my five-year-old asked, well, maybe not the first one, but the one that kind of stuck with me the most is, are you going to die next? When are you going to die? So the opportunity of saying, you know what, there is a possibility of that happening, sure, because we don't want to lie to our kids, but at the same time, we don't want to feed into that. We want to give them the probabilities. It is a lot more probable that I'm going to live a long time, and I'm going to be here with you, and you're going to be cared for, and this is how we can assure that you feel safe. Um, and talk about, you know, you know, you're going to grow up to be this, you know, great man, and I'm going to be there at these occasions with you, and allow them to feel that there is that security in that. You know, they're going to have questions, and here's the thing with kids: you never want to lie, and you never want to make up things like euphemisms, right? Like, oh, they're sleeping, because <laughs> that actually really causes harm to kids, or can really cause harm. I can't, you know, say an absolute statement there, but. It can make them be afraid of going to sleep, um, afraid of other people falling asleep. It can cause nightmares and anxiety around sleep patterns. You always want to use your words carefully. Um, Use words like death, permanent, because you don't want them to assume they're going to wake up and come back. And that's kind of creepy and scary. Um, Kids also don't understand permanence. They don't, you know, at a certain age. Um, I don't know when it is. My nine-year-old grasped it pretty well. He understood that this was eternal and permanent. Um, But my five-year-old was like, hey, uh, when I go to grandma's house next month, can Will she make sure there's a snack for me in the fridge? Because that was her thing, you know, always a snack for him. Or 
you know what? If grandma's in heaven, can she call me on the phone? I just want to check in with her. So, I wish that were the case. <laughs> that would be awesome. Right? Lots of questions, though, that they're just super curious and they want those answers. I think I told you on the phone when, when we were talking back and forth about uh, recording this episode. So my grandfather passed away. I was in second grade. And like I knew he was sick. Right? The, my memories leading up. I knew he was sick. I knew he was in the hospital. I even remember when my sister and I went to stay with my grandparents and I went to the kitchen for something and Paul Paul came out of his room and he's like, do you know where the, the thermometer is? I'm like, why would I know that? No, you know, I don't know. And, um, but when my parents picked us up at, at the golden corral, if anybody knows the golden corral, right. Um, there was a moment where my parents sent my sister and I away and they're like, well, go get ice cream and get a lot of it and do all the toppings and stuff. And uh, we'll wave you over when we think you got enough. And that was weird to even me. That wasn't a normal thing, right? And and it was because I, I believe they were passing on this information, you know, that my grandfather was really sick. But yeah, I knew he was sick. I knew he was in the hospital. I remember visiting there. I remember the last time he came to our house. But I remember being told when I woke up one morning that he, you know, he went to heaven. And I think the hard part, though, kind of what you were talking about is when we went to grandma's house now at bedtime, Mom was tucking me in, and I said, well, I need to go tell Pawpaw goodnight. And so, like, I understood I understood death, but there was a disconnect now of, like, I can't go talk to him now. I can't tell him goodnight. But, I, you know, my mom's like, well, remember, he's not here anymore. And I think I asked, like, well, can, can God deliver a message if I pray? Like, could God pass it on? She goes, well, yeah. You know, you could try that. So, yeah, there's, there's a weird process, right, that, that goes along with it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the parts of that is that there is that ritual. We have funerals. We have ways of celebrating life. We have these events that make sure that there is some kind of grieving ritual that allows for that processing to happen. Because sometimes it is that, you know, you go to someone's house and the next time they're not there and it's what happened. And if you don't have that way of grieving um, and having a place for it and a setting for it, then it kind of carries residually a little bit. And now funerals and kids attending funerals is a very personal choice, right? Not everybody's going to say, yes, I feel comfortable with this. It can be very emotional, overwhelming, especially if there's an open casket. So you're going to navigate those things. If a kid does attend a funeral, you want to prepare them for that. You want to say, this is what you're going to expect. This is where we're going to sit. This is kind of what's going to happen. Here's who you're going to see. This is about how long it's going to be. And it sounds kind of detailed, but honestly, this is going to help the kids out a lot. I imagine it would have to because you're talking about this and a, an immediate memory flooded me here. And it was it was the smell. I mean, we were at the viewing for hours on end and all those flowers. And so now anytime I smell any like assortment of flowers, like it, all I think about is that. And it makes me feel almost sick when I do. So yeah, those, those are good things to discuss, you know, yeah. if you bring your kids. And I think it's, uh, you, I, I'm, I was going to ask you that question. I think it's really important as well. Kind of be prepared that your, like, there's not a universal response. And especially like at a funeral, there's not a universal response. Like I can remember when my, when my grandpa, my, my grandpa passed away. Um, I was around, I think I was in a nine, um, so a little bit older than you were, Robert, but I can remember we went to kind of the wake and, and it was an open casket. And I remember like looking in and there, there he was and just didn't, re I like didn't really grasp what was happening 
And like at some one point, my dad came up and he's like, "How are you doing?" And I'm was like, "I'm I'm fine." And I just didn't really. And then I remember going to the funeral, and I remember the I remember the moment that they wheeled the casket out. I just lost it, and something about that clicked for me. That that was the moment I realized like Grandpa's gone, and he's not going to be around anymore. And like that was the moment for me that I just started bawling. And so. I think it's important for parents to understand, like, you know, having your child there, like, let them know what's happening, let them know what's gonna, what it's gonna be like, and just be ready for the point that it's gonna hit them. And that's gonna be different for every child. They're gonna, something's gonna trigger in them to make them think that, whether it's this point or another point. Absolutely. And that's the same for an adult, right? So an adult's going to experience it differently. And when you see kids, like my three-year-old who just had the worst tantrum and laid on the floor and would not move, I'm like, you know, you see that and you go, okay, that's what she's doing. She's trying to distract us, honestly, because she doesn't know what to do with sad. But not a lot of people, and honestly, even myself in that moment did not put that together. I was just kind of frustrated, like, why you sit still all the time? Why are you behaving like this? And so just preemptively, parents, um, make a plan. If you have young kids, make a plan. Who's going to be the one that steps out? Maybe you want to get a somebody not related to you that wants to be a caretaker for them if that were to happen so that you can grieve in that process with your family. And I think you just touched on something that's huge that you as a parent are processing all of these mm-hmm. things as well. You know, as your child's processing, you're processing. So you tell your story of being frustrated. I'm sure some of that is you processing your feelings yeah. in that moment. Because yeah, I wanted to pay attention. So this may be a silly question, right? But we all process, we all grieve differently from one another. Or is it more so that, well, this age group, they generally process and grieve this way while this age group does it differently while adults do it this way or is everybody different i think it's a a both and kind of thing right there's certain things you can expect in certain age groups that are normal kind of things um if you have a shy child um and normally what they would do when they're upset is to back away and hide they're probably going to do something like that um it is normal for eating issues to occur or for um bathroom like if you have a previously potty trained child it's normal to have accidents, um, to kind of backslide or do some baby talk, want to be held more, want to be kind of glued to you more. It's also normal for anger, irritability, um, anxious type things, stomach aches, headaches. Those things are normal to happen when someone is grieving. When they really feel it, your body, I don't know, I think as adults we try to ignore these things, but kids are really in tune to it. If some a kid is anxious, stomach aches are really common digestional issues, very common, headaches, very common, right? Sleep disturbances, um, questions or no questions. They might be really talkative. They might be really quiet. All these things are normal. So when you're thinking about that, I'm, I'm seeing your face and I'm going, you know, well, what's not normal, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that is the other side of it. What's not normal? When should um, you be concerned? Yeah. yeah. When you see things, when you, if you have school-age kids, you want to pay attention to, are they withdrawing socially from their friends as well? Are they talking to anybody? If they're not talking to you, okay. But if they're not talking to anybody, that's something to step up in, right? Um, if they're not eating for a longer time or if they're not sleeping and having sleep disturbances that last for weeks, months, you you want to check in with them and, and maybe 
get some help so that they can process some of what they're going through. Depression, um, you want to check in with them on that. Um, where are their thoughts? Are they having any thoughts of, you know, it's normal for a five-year-old to say, oh man, I just really want to be with them. I miss them. I wish I could die and go to heaven too, because then I could be with them. That's, you know, it scares a parent to hear that, but honestly, that's that's where their brain is at. They understand like, oh, I want to be with them. Heaven sounds great, <laughs> you know, so let's go there. Um, but then, you know, for older kids and if it's a prolonged, I desire to be with them, the person that's dead, that's, you know, something to watch out for um, because it could become some kind of self-harming or deeper depression if it's not addressed and it continues for an extended time. I was going to jump in there with Laura. Uh, as a teenager, uh, all I could think about was I had to handle this on my own. I wanted to hold my emotions in. I just wanted nothing of other people. I just wanted to just go in and to my basement and just process this on my own. And others come and ask and just say, Scott, what's going on? Like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I have to deal with this myself. And so, I was thinking this as I was holding the emotion in. I, I could do this. I, I, I'm a freshman. I'm in high school. I can be that person who could just go through everything. But in the end, I, was, I couldn't. Um, it was eating inside of me, and I just wanted to explode. And I needed that person there who was just going to really just hold me and let my emotions flow. And, and as you're saying that, some part of that is that you might not want to respond right away and your kid might not want to talk to you all the time. But if you are constantly present, if you talk about your own emotions, if you show them how to grieve because you're grieving, you make it normal. I think one of the biggest things is that you don't want to make this a shame thing. You don't want to make grieving something that injures them to say, well, I'm unlovable, I'm not good enough, um, because maybe they're not grieving the way that you think they should be. So... Taking time to say, okay, they are allowed their own emotions, they're allowed their own process, but I'm going to show up and I'm going to ask. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be available, even if it's playing video games with your kiddo, um, going on walks, doing art projects, be creative, do time with them. Because if you're with them, things are going to come out. And if they're not talking to you, um, especially older kids, Offer places that they are safe to talk to. Um, talk about school, talk about school counselors, um, friends, teachers. If there's a church or youth group, if there's, um, you know, maybe a family friend of yours that you know that would be a good listener, offer them safe adults that they can go process that maybe is not you. So one thing to watch out for with kids, though, is that there is this idea that when you grieve, there's a lot of magical thinking that happens with your brain. And magical thinking basically is saying, I caused this person to die. It is my fault that they're dead. And, um, you know, they could have died from cancer or something very natural. And it's their fault because they made them mad or they caused too much stress for them. Whatever it is, they can blame themselves pretty well. And making sure that one, they understand that death is permanent. And two, they understand that they did not cause it. Yeah, Laura, right with your point, I was right there where I thought, I saw my dad that, that morning before school, and I was like, I, I, I should have stopped this. Like, I knew that it, he was he was sick. He, he told me as a teenager, I was just like, he was sick, and he's like, I'm just staying home, and I just went throughout my day, got dressed, brushed my teeth, went to school and everything. And then when I heard the news uh, from my pastor and my uncle during uh, gym class, I was like, immediately, I'm like, 
I could have stopped it. I could have prevented him from, from doing suicide. And so I put the blame on myself. And I know my older sister uh, also did the exact same thing. She's like, we could have stopped him from doing this. But ultimately, like Laura said, we can't. And we, uh, we, put, we do put the blame on ourselves. So why does that occur? Why does our mind automatically go just because the sense of control that we could have made everything better, that, that we could have saved the day? Is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, you've hit very close to what that is, right? Um, there's this, I'm missing the word right now. I think it's called personalization, basically. If you can assume control for things that are not actually within your control, then you can fix it. You can make it better. You can feel better. You can make people around you feel better. And part of that, I think sometimes, depending on how the the person passed, bringing it into a place where you can say, it was my fault or I could have changed it, in some way it makes it so that this person can understand what happened more. Like for Scott, in, in the example of, of his dad, I, I'm sure part of that was, how could this happen? And if I feel like it, it was my fault it makes how it could happen a little more concrete. It makes it so that I can understand what happened a little bit more. And I think sometimes that's part of it too, is is trying to bring this completely unconcrete, how could this happen? What could cause this to take place more concrete and more, I can grasp this and hold on to it. Well, you're pretty much explaining the the childhood idea of egocentrics. It's the idea that a child's worldview is primarily focused on what they see, how they see things. You know, as you get older, you kind of say, well, I've experienced this and this and that, and I can take those different worldviews and create a broader, more applicable, real <laughs> worldview. But when you're, you know, young, um, you're very selfish in your thinking, not selfish isn't the right word, self-centered in what you see, and you only have the view of what you know. The question I often hear is how young is too young to talk about it? I don't think there's a somebody that's too young, because I think even babies experience grief. However, I think there's an appropriate language around it, okay. um, using vocabulary that's understandable. Once again, making sure you're not lying or making up terms or comparing it to sleeping. <laughs> Right. Making sure that you are very honest in your approach. Another part of this, though, is you want to offer hope. And as Christians and having a faith in Jesus Christ, you are able to bring in that talk of heaven. You're able to talk to them about, you know, all of the verses that say, you know, Christ has gone ahead of you preparing a way. Um, you know, in my father's house, there are many rooms um, that it's a pleasant, peaceful place to be and that there doesn't have to be this huge fear around death in itself. Obviously, you don't know the state of everybody who's dying and what their faith is at. But it is helpful to bring in that lesson right there to teach them where your hope comes from. So I remember at my grandfather's funeral, and I remember who I assume was the the minister, the pastor, you know, he said how he's in heaven now. And I distinctly remember turning to my mom and saying, how does he know where he is? I see him right here. From that conversation, it was in November, right before Thanksgiving, and my mom explained it to me. You know, I grew up in church and all that, but I, I really think that made a huge impact on me. Like, oh, that's the connection. That's pretty important. And it was in, in February then, right, just a few months later, that that I made that decision. 
to, uh, you know, ask Christ to forgive my sins and, and become a believer. And so I'm, I'm not saying the two are directly linked, but I remember that conversation very well. So yeah, that's definitely a huge aspect of it to, to talk to your kids about. As a teenager, I processed it like it's all, like I said, it's all on me. And, but yet, as I was processing with my mom going through it, uh, I felt like I'm the man of the house now. I have to take care of uh, my mom and my sister. And so I put all the like roles as, as a father would on me. And I can remember just how that affected me going forward, even in my high school years. So I didn't know, Laura, if you have thoughts on that. I think that's a pretty natural thing to occur, um, depending on what you know as your role or what a role of your dad was in that household. I think there's a little bit of that wanting to, you want to do good for those that you love and you don't want them to feel pain. There's some of that, you know, that love that you feel for those others as well to keep you going. Um, you probably took on more than you needed to for sure. But it also gave you a purpose and something that pushed you to continue to move. It's big to have routines. It's big to have purposes. It's big to have people that you can help out and reach out to. And if you're taking care of someone else along the way, it kind of rejuvenates you a little bit to say, okay, I can do this. They can do this. We got this together. And that's honestly, as a community, when you see a family that's grieving, reach out, send cards, bring food over, bring cookies for kids, bring something Um crafts and stuff to do. Let them know that they're not alone in this, that they don't have to take on all the responsibilities that were left behind, that you've got them. I think a big challenge too, when somebody dies, there's always a huge outpouring up front, right? Everybody's calling, checking in, bringing food. How can we help you? And and that could go on for a couple of months, maybe at most. Somebody told me the other day it went on for like a year for them. I've only known it happened for three, six months. After that, there's that drop-off, right? Everybody goes back to, to their normal life. But that family, they're still suffering, like, like we said a while ago. I mean, this, is, this isn't a one-time conversation. It's now a lifelong process almost of, of, of dealing with that loss. I, I just bring that up to kind of almost as a challenge to people, like, you know, don't, don't forget. Don't, don't move on. This, this family is still in need of, of someone to, to care mm-hmm. for and, and support them. And, Scott, I know from your story – I mean, a big part of who you are now was because someone took the time to to come up beside you. Absolutely. So my youth pastor um, came and just wrapped his arms around me and, and loved on me and uh, wouldn't let me go and just shared with me just the importance of what it means to like just to just to be there. He said, "You have a powerful story that you need to go into." being um, a youth pastor or sharing it to help students dealing with death or dealing with a loss of a loved one. That's so important, Robert, with your statement about how you need to continue to remember this family. I can remember years, like, of course, the one-year anniversary, I would receive cards and, and, and things in the mail as a family we did. But just two years or th- that third year, um, we continued to just re- receive encouragement. And people stop by and say, I'm checking in on it. How are you doing? And that makes a huge difference. It takes years on just to process all that. And so that's, that's key. I think, too, something that Laura touched on that, I don't think anybody ever comes out the other end of losing someone the same. Losing someone in even even if it's in small ways changes people. And even if you're an adult, I, I shared the story of my grandpa when I was like nine. My other grandpa passed away when I was late twenties, thirties, 
I was older and, uh, and I can remember when he passed away, there was a part of me feeling like, I mean, he set the example for the family. I mean, he was that patriarch. Like that was the thing. Like we all talked about as a family, like was just the legacy that he left. And there was a part of me that when he, after he passed thinking now that he's gone, that's on me. Like I got to be the example for my family now, like, which is totally not like a real thing, right? Like they're all adults. They all have families. But like, for me, there was just this part of me thinking like, I got to do that now. I got to live up to that. And so I think anybody who experiences loss is changed in some way by it. And remembering, I know that you guys have probably heard this lots, but grief is cyclical. Like it, it's not linear. It doesn't do the normal, okay, give it lots of time and it's going to completely go away. No, you would adjust to that new way of living and new way of experiencing and expressing life with each other. You create new traditions, you continue old traditions, but even those adjust. And one way that you can kind of make sure that you are honoring that, especially if it's somebody that was really close, is creating traditions around um, maybe every year you do something that that person really enjoyed doing. With my grandma, who just recently passed away, we're doing a family reunion in June, and we're going to probably have a continual family reunion in June um, because she loved family gatherings. That was her favorite thing ever. And just to see us together, she would just be in her in her element, right? So it's more of that celebration of, you know what, she would love this. Let's do this. This is important for her. It's family closest is important to her. So everybody's on board. And I think it's important to also talk about that person who may uh, passed uh, to share memories, to share um, just stories that you can remember that helps you just remember of the good times that they brought. When my grandma passed away, I reached out to one of my cousins and she was condolences, you know, all this of, and she goes, remember that one time where grandma um, said, so you said something like you wanted a toothpick and she came back with chopsticks. Do you remember that? I was like, no, I don't remember that. But she's like, no. So my grandma has been hard of hearing for a long time, but she never refuses, never questions what you want. She just gives, right? She's just a servant in heart. And so it was just one of those stories that like when it was retold to me, I'm like, she never even questioned, why would I need chopsticks? Like, there's no <laughs> need for that. But that's what she thought I wanted and needed. And she got it, right? So you learn about the character of the people and how they related with others' relationships. So that's hugely important to hear stories of your loved one and to share in that. Because man, that was such an important story to me. And it's such a silly one. There are sometimes uh, families that, oh, no, we, we won't discuss it. We won't talk about it. And that's unhealthy. What could a person from the outside wanting to help, is there a way to even approach that? Well, you hit on something really important, right? So our kids are grieving. And Derek had mentioned before that we're grieving too, right? We're not unscathed by this just because we're adults. In fact, we probably feel it and say more, but differently. And we're processing that as well. Um, but we get to teach our kids how to grieve. We get to teach them how to take care of themselves, how to notice what they're needing. And we get to express that. So parents, if you are crying in front of your kids, if there are times when you're just worn out and exhausted because you're emotionally drained, it is okay to say to them, hey guys, you know, this is a really hard day for me. I am feeling upset because I'm sad. I'm feeling overwhelmed because there's a lot in processing. So take care of yourselves. Show your kids how to do that as well. Um, eat healthy, sleep well, make sure you're reaching out to people. 
make sure you're doing things that help you soothe yourself that are healthy. What final bit of information, you know, for everybody listening, what what final thing would you want to to tell everyone? Let's continue to allow for the conversation and provide space. Um, listen more, talk less, allow for emotions, right? Yeah. Every emotion is okay. It's okay to express it. You might not like it, but it's okay. And validate that emotion. I've been I've been taking some notes <laughs> as we've been talking here. And so um, I'm going to share these five things I wrote down. Number one is to be present. Be present with your kid. Maybe more so than normal. I wrote down, be real and honest. Uh, be open to having those conversations. Be open to when they're ready to have those conversations. Be watchful for red flags and, and things that maybe seem off. And then the last one I said is just be ready whenever they are ready to talk. Yeah. And, and it's hard because there's sometimes where you want them to talk so badly, but that actually can create that power struggle. You have to tell me you're okay or you're not okay because I need to know what to do. And you don't want to get into that argument to power struggle mode. Well, uh, Laura, Scott, we really appreciate both of you being here today and yeah. talking about a Thank really so tough topic. Um, but I, I hope it's helpful to people out there listening because this is something sooner or later every parent will deal with in some form or fashion. So thank you both for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. So next week, we actually will not have an episode, but we'll be back on April 7th. And we're going to talk about single parent homes and some of the unique challenges uh, that moms and dads in those homes uh, face and go through. So we're going to talk all about that. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Help us out in those uh, podcast rankings so people can find us a little bit easier. Derek. Like us. Like us, please. We're begging for you just to simply throw us some love, right? And send Derek Marmel. Tell him how much you missed oh, him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll take all the mail I can get. I mean, f- feel free. Uh I know there's people listening. I know that there's people that are appreciative of this. I had a, a parent this this week come up and say, "Thanks for doing this." And so um, we're hoping that this is helpful and this is a, a resource for you. And share it, share it with other people that you think yeah. might might need it. And uh, Derek, those those five uh, wrap up points. I'm going to put those in the uh, show notes for everybody so they can see them real easily. Join us again. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Parent Podcast. The Parent Podcast is produced by Autumn Ridge Church and Robert Nash. Our sound engineer is Ian Benoit. Our theme song is Silver Skies by Geome. Follow us on Twitter at Parent Podcast or on Instagram at The Parent Podcast. You can email us with questions or topics you would like us to cover at parentpodcast at autumnridgechurch.org. For more information on Autumn Ridge Church, please visit autumnridge.church. Thank you for listening.